The Say Something Podcast is brought to you by AmomentWithMorris.com and BlackBlueprints.com. That's BlackBlueprints with a Z dot com. I'm Jermaine Morris here with the one and only Mr. Barry Axius. Yes, sir. We are bringing you the newest episode of the Say Something Podcast. Say something, say something, say something. Where we talk about what's going on out here in the life, out here in the world, and the traffic out here in these streets. In these cold, cold, cold streets. Even in the summertime. We are bringing you episode number 86. Yeah, 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 booyah. As always, we like to highlight and, and, and keep our own narrative of individuals who've done great things for the culture, for the people. A moment of excellence with Jermaine Morris. This gentleman, this brother, he is still with us. So he, he hasn't gone on to greener pastures, but he is, uh, I like to think of him as an unsung hero. I think too many of us do not know who he is and need to become more familiar with his work. Uh, from uh, North Carolina, he's old school. He grew up in the segregated South, back where he grew up watching black businesses that were black owned. So the idea of doing for self and, and having and creating was something that he saw as a small child, which is something that he campaigned and championed throughout his entire life. He's been involved in the, uh, the on the economic side for multiple presidents over decades upon decades. He's wrote multiple books, tried to lay the blueprint for, for black Americans to be self-sufficient economically, politically, for us to have to be competitive in the marketplace with uh, with just nothing but countless information. He is the uh, president of the Harvest Institute. He runs the only black owned and operated um, fish factory. So when you we looked at what we purchase, you know, we, we down for seafood. So rather than have to go to somewhere else, he's like, well, let me get my own plant started. Let me get my own stuff. I'm going to get my own hookup. He wrote multiple books. One of his most notably is one that uh, sets the blueprint for how we can work the infrastructure educationally, politically, socially, all that in his group, a book by the name of Powernomics. He is a, an economist. He wrote the original affirmative action plan, which was specifically for black Americans before it was then taken and branched out for everybody where they started using words like minorities and people of color and that sort of thing. This is a gentleman who I have the utmost respect for, for what he has constantly tried to drill into us for decades. But I just don't feel we listen to enough. So I'd like to say shout out to appreciation one time to Dr. Claude Anderson. Yes, sir. Claudy, Claudy. I wish Claude Anderson would finally call me back. I'm trying to get him out here in Sacramento. Explain. Yeah, he doesn't travel and speak as much as he used to. It's getting old. It's getting yeah, sick. he is. And the sad part is that he's he's gotten a little uh, defeated. He's got a little defeated feeling. Uh, before we go too deep on this, we also have to acknowledge another highlight of another uh, quality African American man out here doing it. A, a gentleman. He is a he is a not only a friend but family member of the podcast. He's been here before. And I uh, also want to give him his kudos. The last time he was here, still the most listened to episode of the Say Something podcast. Yes, sir. Let's give him a little round of applause and some appreciation one time. Welcome back, Brother Khalil Ferguson. Happy to be back. Nephew's back. Uh, talk before we just jump into it because we got a lot to talk about. Tell us about your new book that That's you just what put I was just going to set oh, him up. Man, so the book that I wrote, it was. Um, the idea kind of came from reading a lot of old heads, um, like W.B. Du Bois, um, Dr. Francis Cress Wilson. Um, just seeing how some of their books were just writings of essays they put together, I'm like, I can do that too. Um, so the biggest idea kind of came before the Stefan Clark protest, or the 2018 protest, um, about 83 through 92. Um, I started writing some papers and writing some articles, and I was going to put that together because it was kind of about the socioeconomic conditions and including 
a lot of the things that we have with regards to dehumanization and politics and law and economics and all of that kind of influenced from the global white supremacist narrative that Dr. Francis Wilson put out. Um, just combining that with like the same um, similarities between our you know, neo-colonialism here in the States to the neo-colonialism and same factors on the continent. And that's really what the book is about, sharing that and highlighting the same um, propensities that we have on the continent um, with regards to social status and like underclassness. Um, that we that we have here in the United States as well. So it's kind of you know the idea of Pan Africanism is we share the same struggle, therefore we share the same destiny as well. Um, and kind of getting that realigned back on focus. That's really what the book points out. But it takes a very economic aspect of how our situation is today. Okay, what did you title the book? The book is called Subservience. And where can folks find it? On Amazon. I went through Amazon. So that's really the only place you can find it right now. You know, it's free publishing um, for me. It's a charge for a print. So Amazon Subservience by Lil right. Ferguson. Nice, nice, Thank nice. You. We're proud of you, brother. Very, very, very. As soon as I saw that you that you was finished, I was like, two things happened. A, I was like, I'm incredibly. I, I have since I met you, I've been very, very impressed by you. And two, made me start typing faster on this book I'm working on. I was like, so he had already got his out. He's way younger than me. <laughs> so I'm over here lagging. That's yes, okay. Take we all time. lagging. Take your time. You know, well, uh, my book is going to be coming out soon. It's going to be called More Truth Than You Can Handle. <laughs> there you go. There Sounds you go. fitting. Yeah, because there's a lot of truth. We have a lot of stuff going on. You know, my brother Jermaine, how are you, brother? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I've been uh, laying low a little bit, yeah. doing some uh, resetting. <laughs> it seems like you've been doing a lot of resetting of in the last few months. Need to. Just getting older. Can't do everything the same. Well, I do and appreciate you coming out, making Summer Nights of Impact the second year a high success. 30 youth, um, paid, no violence, no police, and we did the damn thing once again. Let's give yes, a man. hand clap yeah, for that, right? Black excellence. When they don't feel you can be excellent and funded solely majority by us, a few funders, you know, that don't need to be named, but not enough to really push us through and it really had to come out of the, 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 the bearings of you know the pockets yeah. you know of a black man and we'll just leave that alone for there <laughs> but in the reality what we have is um, definitely something that we can grow and build on because I feel when we talk about economics when we talk about revolutionary building the idea for us to be running and moving and protests and marching without one creating our own and two being able to support our own we have 30 young people saying hey i need a job how am i going to listen to you if you can't show me how to fish or if i need you to get me the fish right for this particular time you get me the fish so we had to bring them the fish and then you know everything else moves from there not only did we supply those kids with job opportunities youth development giving them financial um, literacy nephew you came in for some yeah, of that component yeah. as well um, that they were thrilled about uh, just having a bunch of guest speakers to be able to speak life and truth to them as well as um, making sure we supply them all with their uh, school needs right making sure yeah. they had backpacks uh, you know school supplies as well as 300 plus families being serviced with all that as well as we've done that for our eighth year so there's a lot of groundwork that has to be done constantly be done when we continue to talk about revolutionary building we're really talking about taking ownership of it not allowing or letting other people dictate or show us how to do it or you know maintain the status quo of how we do things we do shit unapologetically and the black excellence with our asses out because I believe that the only way we show them 
we can be able to move by ourselves is we have to put the feet to the ground and actually move it. Facts. Period. True, true, true. So a lot's been happening out here. Yeah. So brother, you uh your base is in business and very financially literate. And and I know you've noticed a lot of stuff that's been happening out here in the traffic. Yeah, a lot of a lot of BS, yeah. Yeah, shoot like yeah, like come on, yeah, let's 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 like let's get into it. What we gonna go first? We gonna so, go we gonna go chicken wars or we gonna go Jay Z? Are we gonna go talk about the uh what is it, the pedophile, the billionaire pedophile that hung himself? So what let, we gonna talk about? Let's jump into it. Let's let's I guess maybe we hustle backwards. Cause I think significance the chicken thing is minor, so we can knock that out quick. So you Is know, it really? The, the, the Chick-fil-A uh Popeye's chicken it was sandwich. Church, it was, it was a church fried chicken? No. First off, I'm a vegetarian, so I don't no, even don't mess even with this anyway. <laughs> I've never eaten a Chick Fil A in my life, yeah. and, and so when everybody talk about that, it's supposed to be you know Jesus between two buns. I'm gonna have to go ahead and take your word for <laughs> it. Um, but I have seen the ridiculousness that I, people who have taken to the airwaves, who've taken to social media, who all of a sudden think their life is interesting enough to go live to show the the, the firsthand debate between two chicken sandwiches. So, but yet they have four kids that I've never seen a picture of. Yeah, no doubt. They got married and there's no anniversary photos. Cloud chasing. Uh, there is nothing that shows any significant thing that's going on in their life. But all of a sudden they pop out of the woodwork to try to explain to me which chicken sandwich tastes better. Meanwhile, as a collective, we got we, Amazon burning. We didn't give in twenty. Was it twenty? Almost twenty-four million dollars yeah, of free press. Yeah. To, to Popeyes just because we want to be the one that, that tells everybody that Negroes have been fighting I mean that's forget KFC this is what's finger licking good I mean and, and to your point as all this is going on we've got the, the issue with the NFL season getting ready to come back mm-hmm. and, and with, with Jay-Z taking a position with the, with the owners of the league with the Amazon consistently burning yeah. with day after day still videos of, of law enforcement shooting unarmed Black men and women, with just so much going on. So let's uh, let's dive in. Let, 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 I want to know first, how the hell did this whole shit start with the chicken shit? That's what I, I'm trying to confuse. So what's crazy is that it came up. It's literally so they wouldn't say you know black Twitter helped market yeah. that, but let's be honest, Popeyes and Chick Fil A use black rhetoric to get this to black Twitter. If you yeah. look at the rhetoric that was used, they were basically saying, oh yeah, they was going back and forth on Twitter, you know. Kind of say, oh, you, y'all, y'all thirsty? They was having a little Twitter yeah. war. Was, you know, doing a little, you know, the Twitter stuff. And Sis pointed out on one of the Pan African pages I followed, she was like, now if a black startup will be talking like this on it's social media, y'all would call it, yeah, yeah, y'all really it's consider it's that same, hold from that same respect that you allowed Chick Fil A and uh, Popeyes to do on social media. So I was like, it started there. Well, look, Wendy's dropped a mixtape. <laughs> What do you mean, Wendy's Robin Mixon? You forgot about that. I remember okay, that. So there's this whole big thing where these fast food chains are beefing with each other on Twitter, and they are appealing to us. Yes. Because the, the the rhetoric and the vocabulary, the vernacular they use, they're speaking to us. It went as far as that Wendy's, you know, Wendy's, little pigtail, red, red-haired yeah. little girl, they actually put together a mixtape, which they released. Where they did diss tracks against like Burger King and other that. fast food places. Too. I like, Twitter and yeah, got, I don't even know who, got, who the songwriter was, but it was like trap Twitter. beats and it was I don't like know like what y'all listening to, but I ain't listening to that shit. But I'm saying this was it was it was a pretty big campaign. Really? There, yeah. Yes. I must have missed that. And yes. so, but I mean, so they've been they've been trying to work us into their 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 system for a minute. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the situation. However, it started as you said, Neff, 
it started. Yeah. And the controversy is what the controversy is in a sense that one, we're not really eating real chicken. That's just on 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 both sides. Both, both, both sides, yeah. Both sides, right? And then two, um, the level of consciousness or the lack thereof, because here we are promoting some shit that again does not, um, you know, circulate in the black community. Now, understanding the levels of where Popeyes compared to Chicken Filet is. Where you would have chicken fillet more in a Serbian suburban kind of area, and Popeyes and more of an urban, you know, what you're looking at the food deserts that Popeye would probably exist in. So the fact that you know we again have showed our influence, but again negatively, not only are we projecting to help both sources earn a lot of money at a particular time frame, where out of the blue. Uh, chicken filet and Popeye's uh, popularity just rose within a matter of days but at the same particular time not looking at the things that we could do if we galvanize this kind of advertisement for black owned businesses and I hear a lot of folks will argue the fact that um, black folks shouldn't worry about how this advertisement thing is going because if black people are in business it's not because of 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 not advertising for you it's because of the product i would argue with that it just seems to feel for me that every time there's some kind of challenge we are the first ones to take that challenge and running and not understanding the repercussions of it we get nothing from it but seeing how ignorant how um how lame how much silly niggles we really are by trying to cultivate a popeye's chicken and another chicken store with product that ain't even real, right? Where we have not even attempted whether the restaurants were up to par because I don't know any restaurant that has stayed up to par, even a five-star restaurant that has always just been downright good. That we spent so much time back and forth and now even in an argument where we really need to lay down some, some foundation on what's to come politically, economically, to position ourselves once again the black folk are entertained and it seems like entertainment value is the number one thing that comes out of this because i have not done that one damn challenge whether it was the um the bucket challenge uh ice challenge whatever challenge yeah. they put out there that has gone viral i've done not one because i thought it was all dumb and asinizing it is just cynical for us to now look at this chicken war and to watch some of the viral videos of people fighting over a chicken sandwich, a sandwich that's not truly really chicken, and us looking at the big joke of America as usual because we've just, I think, embraced it a little bit too much. And it goes even further. I think even like even like just you know diving in really deep into like this is a class analysis of it. Because yeah. um, even when you know the viral picture of the sis who was exhausted. Um, outside, it went viral. And she actually tweeted. I'm not sure if it was her directly from her Twitter or her tweeting from somebody else's, but she was saying like, "I'm barely making enough money to, you know, uh, pay for my daughter's tuition, pay for other things, for, for pay for luxury items because I'm working this minimum wage job at what 50 years old, approximately 50 years old. Yeah. I can't even afford enough to put money into my retirement. I'm being dehumanized in person at Popeyes, and now I'm being dehumanized on Twitter, and we're doing it so religiously, like it's being reposted and reposted all for our amusement." Yeah. 
names and everything. Yeah, right. that was like she she didn't just finish making twenty seven thousand chicken sandwiches or whatever, whatever. And you yeah, sit there and, and post on Twitter and like, damn, she's tired. Like you know, she's exhausted. Like you had to warn the Popeyes workers out. Like yeah, like come on now. And you know, two two other things regards to the you know the entertainment. But before I get to that. I kind of just Googled the CEO of, like you said, CEO of Popeyes. It's yeah. a white woman. You know? Of course. But, uh, and she yeah. said she joined in 2006 when Popeyes was, you know, a, you know, she called it a sleepy franchise yeah. and was depressed. But now I'm like, what? They made $24 million in two weeks in there. Well, the thing is they saved $24 million. Yeah, so, and, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they've got free press. In every way, shape, or form that they didn't have, have they didn't have to pay a dime for. So they, yeah, they said, what's the equivalent to start running all these ads, these social media platforms, these commercials? They would have said, we're running you about twenty four, twenty five million dollars mm-hmm. out of a, as a corporation to get what these people just gave you for free. Right. So what are you saying that now? This is another thing that I'm very upset at. So that means the black lady that does the Popeye chicken commercial, she's gonna be out of a job. No, what I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just totally joking, man. Well, yeah, but I'm saying, but it, it's they, they, this across the country. They keep I know it. she was worried, like, damn. <laughs> well, no, they, they've had where uh, Popeye's uh, employees have been assaulted because they run out of of the, the chicken sandwiches. Dude, it's been crazy. Uh, they showed one where someone was swinging on them through a drive-through drive window. Yeah. They showed one somebody came over the counter. Yeah. Somebody was just like, you know, like they almost protested in the lobby. They got they just posted up signs everywhere. We are out of the we are out of the, it's the chicken silly sandwich. Negro behavior. Period. And even getting back to the entertainment part that you're talking about, like I was just doing, um, and this was kind of can't say went to our Jay Z talk topic, but I did just a small, you know, Google search on like what we spend our money on. I wasn't able to find anything very recent, but I found something for 2010, 2012. Um, about the breakdown of what, how black families spend their income, um, you know, or what they spend spend their money on, and where it ranged from average uh, income to high income to low income, and it showed that uh, there are categories of um, apparel, um, entertainment, education, and reading. Now we spend five times more on entertainment than we do on education and reading, and that wasn't even including what we spend on apparel. And this is through all social class levels. So it's like, yeah. regardless or not, we want to entertain before we want to be educated. Why wouldn't we? Well, there's a factor of a escapism, yeah. yeah, which which is if you don't feel like you've got opportunities or, or resources to or just an, just you don't think your life is going to get any better, mm-hmm. then you can drown yourself in video games or movies or, or music or something Football, along man. that. Yeah, yeah, as a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, as opposed to you know drugs or alcohol. Yeah. I mean, for so so for some that is their that is alcohol consumption was more than reading. <laughs> yeah, but saying, but, yeah, but I'm saying so for some that's where that that entertainment number is high. Yeah. Uh, some of that is it's a form of child raising. That instead of the reading to the kids, instead of the doing the stuff outside and doing all that here, put them in front of the TV. It's put an them easy in front babysitter. This, yeah, easy right. babysitter. Uh, and then lack of ambition. Yeah, you know, just like I got to find some pluses. I got to find some silver linings in his life. And if, and if Kevin Hart can give that to me, you know what I'm saying? Well, I think sometimes, <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and sometimes it's just, you know, being in this this uh, escape, you know, when you want to live somebody else's life. And someone else's life um, is better to watch uh, play out than your own. And really the reality of it all, I feel, is as folks clout chase, as folks uh, try to gain that attention, attention seekers, which is more relevant than ever when we talk about clout chasing, Folks just want to go viral, dog. No, you know what right, I'm talking about? Right. Like, it's almost like if you're not talking about the trend, you're not in. You're not hip. Where I've done everything to my power, I think I finally, um, you know, poked fun at it a little bit on, on Facebook. And I just said, you know, on, honest question I have to ask, is the, the chicken even real? Because it's just, I, that's all the energy I'm going to put in it. And I just wanted us to kind of just 
chime in just a second because I want folks to know that we're very uh, uh, much in tune to pop culture and just kind of get our opinion on it because a lot of people have been hitting me up. What do you think? What do you think? And I'm like, well, just listen to the podcast because I just want to just say the small piece and then move forward because we have more pressing issues. But it just shows the ability we have if we really, truly, truly wanted to create change and move in a way to advertise something to get some real kind of climate change that I like to call it because the climate change in the fast food industry because of this. Mm -hmm. And this won't be the last. Um, and I'm for sure there's going to be something else that's going to happen eventually after this, this little chicken uh, sandwich challenge. But it also lets us know how distracted and how we deviate our attention from thing to thing where People that shouldn't have an opinion now feel they have the voice to have an opinion. And I believe everybody has the right to say what they want to say. But for us to honestly taking about 20 minutes of our time to talk about something that's so irrelevant to our community moving forward. We're talking about a chicken sandwich and we're talking about the ignorance that is it's brought some of the laughter, but at the same time, the pressing issues of how we don't develop businesses in the way that this whole chicken challenge has, it speaks even more to who we are as black people moving forward. I think that we really have to start checking ourselves and looking at ourselves on what's our priorities. Like really, what are, what are our priorities? What are our standards? Have our standards reached to that low of a level to where we're okay with taking a, a, a picture of a black woman who is exhausted and not understanding her plight and making memes about it to where we're recording videos of people fighting over uh, chicken sandwiches because I ain't seen that one white person in a video looking like this. It's again, we're looking like idiots. We're looking like silly Negroes. And I feel like if we want to move forward and have people take us seriously, sometimes we just got to allow things just to be what it is and move on. So, so keeping that, that, that mindset. So when you're like, okay, I'm not even worried about public opinion. I'm not worried about what these people over here think. They're so easily distracted anyway. Why am I putting any stock in what they got to say about nothing? Does that give more credence and give more weight to the moves of Sean Carter? Because, a.k.a. Mr. Jay-Z, a.k.a. Mr. Beyonce, if... Why are you going to call him Mr. Beyonce? I'm just saying. Is that what he's known for now? I'm just saying. To the beehive, yes. He's, he's Beyonce's husband, to the beehive. Yeah, that's bad for um, <laughs> So, she, she could... Is that made white people more acceptance of Jay-Z? Of course. Sean Carter? Of course. Because, though he was big here, uh, her global influence was bigger. So Beyonce is a bigger global brand than Jay-Z. Oh. So by marrying her, he elevated true, true, uh, globally. True. And that gives him a little more leverage for things to get done. But if we're sticking with the idea of, okay, well, these folks over here ain't got no idea what they should be focused on anyway. So I'm going to make some moves that's best for me and what I'm doing, regardless if they cool with it or not. Because recently, right now, we've got Jay-Z who partnered with the NFL all going into this preseason with Colin Kaepernick still out of a job. Uh, he did the, the the press conference interview where people were like was was Cap you know made aware of this. He's like I spoke to him. Stories came out. They spoke, but not about this. Uh, and that he's going to be his involvement has to do with the entertainment department of the NFL. He's not in any position to be any part owner of a team. 
Uh, there's no deal with that in place. So he's just really trying to get in bed with the league to set himself up in his mind for something later. People are calling him a sellout and going against the grain and going against the revolution. But if in his mind, he's like, y'all don't even know what you want. You're not organized. Your whole focus shifts to, ch to, to chicken sandwiches. Why should I even be concerned with what you got going on or what you might think of me anyway? Right. So, so what, how does that sit with you? Um, I mean, yeah, so my, pro my problem with it is like, if, dog, if you were just like a businessman, a capitalist, fine. I understand your, your move. But when yeah. you come here talking about, you know, you trying to promote social justice and all that stuff, I'm like, nah, that's when you start coming in the grassroots level. Um, no area like you're not grassroots. You're not really here for social justice. It's like take your money and go. That's what yeah. You're, you're trying to you know be intersectional and like promote or you know be more you know exploit or capitalize on the marketable field of social justice. And that even goes back with me to Kaepernick. I was critical of Cap when he took a deal with Nike. I'm like, I hope you understand what this means for what you were what you were protesting it means for. Hush. It means not even hush, but it means like now <laughs> we're gonna start. Hush, we're gonna see hush. a lot of more a lot more big corporations. Taking initiatives, quote unquote, yeah. for social justice, and it's marketable. It's going to yeah. increase sales, going to increase entertainment sales, going to increase consumption for their product because they seem to be on the good side of our plight and our struggle. Yeah. But it's only to increase their top dollar. I had this argument with a lot of old heads that that was just a business move by Nike, and there was even some old heads, you know what I'm talking about, that was promoting buying Nike stock. Literally, <laughs> literally two days after um, that shit happened, I was like, no, this is what Nike wants, and we saw Nike's. <laughs> Um, stock price dropped to seventy six, but it elevated back to eighty four yeah, for I got, I got a shares, quarter I got, high. I got shares of Nike for a minute. But then, but then even I think a few after all the after all the arguments I had, there was a report came out by a political kind of uh, organization who said that Phil Knight and his you know corporation they donate more to Republicans than yeah. to Democrats, and literally in the twenty eighteen cycle they donated more to republican campaigns than As you democrats would. and and cut you up but for people to get you, you wrap your brain around it if you're talking about being a billionaire or in that that just shy of billionaire status republican views are more in alignment exactly. with your business setup than democratic views Fact. so when they sit there and say oh they put money towards trump or they put money no they put money towards the republican party, party. yes because the republican machine is favorable for big business. Exactly. So those were who's that's who's giving me the tax breaks. That's who's letting me get my companies overseas. That's who's letting me do all the things that keeps me getting paid. So when we get hung up on man, don't wear this because they support Trump. Don't do this because they support Republicans. If you make that much money, I wouldn't be surprised one bit if Sean Carter votes Republican. And some of your favorite rappers and some of your favorite labels that you follow and some of all that stuff are Republicans. All some uh, most of our favorite rappers were Donald, Donald Trump, Trump. Tr Donald yeah, Trump yeah. lovers. They had Donald Trump in his their lyrics. But yeah. go ahead, and if you break it down, no, that, go, no, that was facts. I'm like saying, and then just just keeping it that word, you know, to critique everyone. It's like no, like stop trying to take the social justice initiative um, and make money off. That's what everyone's gonna start doing. And even I was critical of Cat Black Dog. I hope you really know what you just did for grassroots organizations. Even though you have the I know my rights campaign. campaign they just profited off your name because, you know, black people are going to buy okay. your little clothing so, line off So that. sitting with that, so when somebody looks at, well, even if they're getting paid, at least they're doing this. So like, okay, well, Nike's going to get paid off this. So-and-so is going to get paid off this. But at least they're starting to put some things in the place to help level the playing field or change <clears throat> policy or make anything better. Does that make it worth it? Okay, I guess if you're looking at that scope, if what depends on what you're fighting for. For revolutionaries, for me, like they just co-opted the whole revolution by yeah. you doing that. So no, like we don't need big corporations coming in and buying out and marketing so you can get some, you know, crumbs at the table basically to influence. 
Um, so for to a revolutionary, no, it was all it's it's not it's not conducive to what we're really fighting for. If you're allowing big money to come in and influence that for some kind of policy change that just re- is reform. Okay, so jump back a few decades. So if all of a sudden a company comes in and says, "All right, we're gonna give you opportunities where you can get Black Panther apparel," you can get. <laughs> I'm serious. You can get Black Panther apparel, but because we're now in bed with the Black Panther movement financially, we now go to these these. The, the, the legislature and get stuff done because then that's still in our best interest. So say if a policy got changed where it has to do with uh, police reform or has to do with education reform or whatever, but they monetize the movement. Does, does that still not worth it or still? No. I mean, they've already monetized the movement in a sense of think about what they do now. Um, now they celebrate the Black Panthers. Literally, 50 years later, they celebrate the Black Panthers and they have co-opted in a sense of now having a, a sense of pride with the Black Panthers, um, having the Black Panthers in um, museums and, you know, uh, talking about the line history that they would rather say compared to the, you know, elimination, right, of the Black Panthers by the government, right? They will talk about the goods of how they were able to, you know, structure the Black community, but won't look about all of the stuff the government did to take them out. So, in a sense, eventually, the good government or um, any good businessman who's white is going to figure out a way to tap into an industry. Let's look at hip hop. Before the hip hop really became mainstream, government was trying to take it down, was trying to silence, right? Parental discretion, A, B, and C. I mean, people like Tupac were getting sued. Um, two live crew were, were being censored. And then all of a sudden, it's become an industry that continues to support white supremacy on, on all kind of levels. Yeah, we'll take the few black millionaires that eventually will either kill themselves off, that will be in a back fucked up uh, record deal, or be on some drugs and, and kind of won't elevate their community. But eventually... What you create, we will take and we'll have our as our own. My idea of what Jay-Z is doing, I don't necessarily see the chess play <laughs> that he's doing. It's chess, not chess. Uh, because, because, because in the sense of it, and this is not even, you know, listening to Dame Dash's interview, which was very interesting. And um his, you know, of course you you he's his former partner, former best friend that still has residue of frustration of how Rockefeller uh, Rockefeller ended. And I do understand some of that. For me being a fan, one of the things that was uh, very interesting to me when Dame Dash said it was on No Jumper, he basically said that we were popping. We had Kanye, we had um, State Property, we had uh, Cameron. And I remember that. I was like, dude, this is a all-star squad i was like the music that's gonna come out within the next seven years it's gonna be epic and for me as a fan you know you jay-z freeway young guns uh cameron jim jones all these people twister uh mop uh, the list goes on i was just imagining some of the great music and then for all of a sudden Jay-Z switched up his own and now we see what the bigger play is for Jay-Z but I've always kind of for myself been reluctant to really trust a person that's sitting down with heads of white supremacist oppressive organizations like the NFL because even though you watch it it is what it is 
being too smiley face and being too generally happy, there seemed to be a lot of excitement. And I don't know if that was to sell us the pipe dream, but it seemed to be a lot of excitement and laughter from Jay-Z and uh, Roger Goodell. And to me, that makes me feel very uncomfortable. Okay, so uh, there's a phrase that says, when you take the fangs out of a cobra, you can make it a pet. So, where the hell did you get that one from? It's all. It's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You take like the that. fangs out let's of. Let's get. Let's get a clap for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> see, that's when we hit the button. Yeah. <laughs> drop bomb. Drop exactly, the clues. Yeah. Drop the clues. Bombs for that. That'll work yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. You take you take the fangs out of a cobra. You can make it as a pet. So once you have taken the threat out of it, but I think because maybe when I saw this in the whole, it's it's not uh, it's chess, not checkers. I think that still applies, but not the way that we thought it was. He wasn't playing chess for us, us. because I think people the revisionist history and what people forget about Mr. Uh, Sean Carter is the Def Jam move. So when when Jay Z was just a rapper and he was doing Rockefeller, he took he he quote unquote retired from hip hop and took the job as president of Def Jam. What people forgot what he did in that time period is, is that he was only president for a couple of years and he signed a, a few big acts, which people give him credit for. But what he did is he delayed, shelved, and blocked all his competitors in hip-hop at the time period. DMX speaks upon that I was about, a lot. About to go down. So DMX was one of them. That the videos that the videos were shot, the, the songs were done, they didn't come out because the president had, had put had stopped it. LL Cool J's album was coming out. He had been he he put Def Jam on his back. For, for over a decade, you know, just from the beginning. He was the first act signed to Def Jam. He had an album come out with zero marketing, zero promotion, couldn't get any push. And that's LL Cool J. That's LL Cool J. He is Def With the exception of Run DMC, LL Cool J is Def Jam. And so because Sean Carter was the president and he did from everybody, even trying to make his extensions down south and had to do with Luda, everybody who was under Def Jam got pushed back, derailed, shelled. All that while he was president, then he comes out of retirement no longer with any competition. The only people that they said the only dudes moving units in Pimp Juice and us is because Nelly and Eminem were on two different brackets that had nothing to do with Def Jam. Mm-hmm. And that was the only reason why they were selling at that time period is because he couldn't get his fingers in, in, anything, in what they was doing at the time. And that was that whole taking the presidency of Def Jam was a chess move. Yeah. Wasn't good for hip hop. Wasn't good for the label. Wasn't good for artists as a whole. It was good for Sean Carter. So I'm sure he's got chess moves lined up for something he specifically wants to do. That ain't got nothing to do with social justice. Has got nothing to do with the betterment of black people. Has got nothing to do with with anything that anybody's taking a stance on. There's just something that he wants that they have access to. And if he can help grease those wheels, can you go calm your people down a little bit? And, and we'll put you in this position. You can get some paper, and we're gonna see what we can do about where it is you're trying to get to. And even on a money note, if you watch what he's doing, if you follow like even a brief timeline of Rock Nation, how he's been growing Rock Nation, you can see that it's really about money. Yeah. So if you look at it from the the uh, the him being a minority owner in Barclays, we can get into Barclays. As I know, Uncle was talking yeah. about Brooklyn for real when yeah. he deal with that. But I got other things with regards to Barclays. But him being a minority owner in Barclays, Barclays was kind of his leverage and trying to, you know, augment and make Rock Nation bigger. Yeah. Then we have that. Then what? A few months ago, he just had a venture capitalist deal with Meek Mill for make Rock Nation even bigger. Yeah. So now Rock Nation is going to have this, have this, you know, a uh, uh, proprietary business relationship with the Super Bowl over the halftime show. Because can we not see how that's like a lineage right there? And if you haven't noticed, his goal originally was he was going to sell Rock Rock Nation the, the distribution the the booking stuff through Live Nation. Yeah. He wanted to get his weight up enough that he could sell it for enough money that he wanted. At some point he decided why don't I just take over Live Nation? 
And so all the, the comedians that get booked, the concerts that get booked, all the stadiums, the arenas, the book it all across the country and all across the globe that that uh, that has all these deals with Live Nation. He eventually wants that to be Rock Nation. Yeah. And so he got his footing with the NBA. He's trying to get his footing with the NFL. Like I said, it is a chess move. And it, but he is not looking out for us. I'm going to let you know. For us to to look at this and we talk about chess play. Name me one successful black man or woman that has infiltrated white supremacy. Thank you. Thank you. Are we we, we still thinking? Obama. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I mean, you know, there well, has well, not been. Well, let, let, let's check that. Who infiltrated white supremacy for us? us for us. For, for black us people. Because see, that's the difference. For, black, difference. for the empowerment and the embitterment of a black agenda and black people. Name one. None. But the, now I guess the other number would be is how many of them went into it with the intentions of. of but do we honestly do we honestly really believe that folks like Sean Carter went into it? Here's a play that I look at it. A lot of different things fall into this idea because I understand the play on an individual level on what Jay Z is doing. I can't get. I can't. What, what is this song? I can't knock, can't the, knock hustle. the hustle. Right. Right? I can't knock the hustle. So in a sense of it. Can I berate the move? Nah, because some folks would even look at what I've done with the Bill Black movement and and working what we were working with the Kings as a same kind of level of what Jay-Z was doing. And particularly not really because I have gotten really nothing from that. Right. Damn. I don't got no uh, uh, front court seat ticket so I ain't got no monies for my organization it really comes for really setting up Stephon Clark's um, kids for the future as well as setting up other um, organizations as well as other programming so as an individual I have gained nothing but in a sense of where we're going with Jay-Z I think that one the emotional part of us is like well how is he going to sit down with these folks and Colin Kaepernick don't got a job my thing is like First thing I would have sat there and said to, you know, Goodell, can one of you motherfuckers just hire him? Because in reality, because we are so um, simple minded on what we want and, and how things should move and process, I think if one of them teams had picked up Colin Kaepernick, put him on this, this, the, the, the uh, little uh, practice, practice squad and just let him go. Cut him before the season or cut him during the season, put him on the third string. Trust me, there would be no anarchy being screamed from the masses of black people. We would have celebrated that as a victory. But then again, when you turn around and you look at Colin Kaepernick's move, Negro, you sat there and took hush money from the NFL. Then... The Nike, when we all were thinking like, wow, that's crazy. You don't got a job. Nike has been really supported and has been a catalyst on your campaign where we know Nike is funding um, the Republicans. When we know Nike has used bait shoes in Chicago, we know that Nike's in the middle. Not one organization, whether it's NFL or Nike, can be a leader of social justice because then that would destroy white supremacy. Let's be clear on that. Facts, facts. Let's be very clear. You cannot be a leader of truth because at the end of the day, if you are a leader of truth and social justice, then guess what? Nike and the NFL disappear. So when we look at the move Sean Carter is doing, I necessarily 
don't believe the hype of the social justice idea. I think that's what they try to buy from us. I just believe the hype in Sean Carter's going to do what he does, put a few Negroes on, and then eventually we're going to sit there and say that's a win. Just like any other Negro has done, whether it's a mayor locally, a city council locally, a police chief uh, 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 locally, or in other states. But no Negro has honestly, from every walk of life, we've seen with the infiltration of black people has done to policing around America, Negroes are still getting killed. By black people. Right? We've watched Negroes being in public office, Negroes are still getting gentrified. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So in this reality that we're thinking that Sean Carter is going to be anything different, I hear the argument from both sides, but I think that what we have to do is concentrate on the build because at the end of the day, the NFL, not the fact that they've just blackballed Colin Kaepernick, the NFL is not in the business of being messy and is not in the business of trying to balance social justice and the real plight of black people and the base that they have to entertain. Those people that is funding and keeping the LNFL relevant. And good. You had a you had a co-work that's probably gonna segue into our next, you know, next part of the conversation. You know, black people still being gentrified. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, you can, I know you can touch on this being from the area is how, you know, how Barclays has helped exacerbate gentrification in Brooklyn. But I want to go deeper into, you know, I'm about, you know, colonialism and how Africa is intertwined. Go deep. Um, and if we look at history, Barclays Bank, there's research on how Barclays Bank has participated in selling and trading slaves in the slave trade. Mm. Barclays Bank helped in the scramble for Africa and dividing Africa. They financed a lot of the, the uh, expenditure, a lot of the, uh, the tra- people, white people, you know, Europeans traversing and splitting up and, you know, colonizing Africa. So Barclays Bank has had a large um, influence, if, even in apartheid of South Africa. They were the one, one of the one of the ones that would not pull out of apartheid of South Africa. Yeah. So for be a tool of a symbol of colonialism on the continent, and then if we can, can say gentrification is the new colonialism, okay. then having a tool of colonialism on the continent and having a tool of colonialism in our own hood is like a similar, and that's kind of what I'm about in the book. Just to do a you know, self promotion, no, 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 but um, no, we had those share those same kind of you know what's called vicissitudes, it's like those same similar kind of plight with regards to colonialism. And we have the, the, the symbol in our own hood, which is called justification for us to not li- live in our own communities that we've lived in. And Jay Z partnered with him to funnel that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on the rest. I got a lot more about what. No, I mean, I, I, I just I just think that in the reality of it, I, I just the same thing. I mean, folks will say what it, they they'll say, but. I mean, he was a catalyst that was used to gentrify Brooklyn. I mean, this is what it is. These are facts. And in the same sense, we we, we move and we pretend like these things are not happening. And I think it's because we celebrate his achievements that we don't feel that we can criticize his moves. And we want to downplay what the execution will be when we don't even have a Negro that we can point out, whether it's Obama and Obama had the... If, if there was a Negro that infiltrated and was going to have the ability to move things and change things, you can argue with me till you're black and blue. But you will not be able to tell me one thing that, honestly, Obama did to move the stakes of black people, just black people. We're not talking LGBTQ. We're not talking about Latinos. We're talking about black people. We're not talking about uh, uh, Middle Easterns. We're talking about black people. We have been um, grouped up 
and the things that have benefited, but it also benefited America, where you look at Donald Trump and he's doing things to benefit his base and you feel it and you understand it. So it's it's to me. It's very slippery slope, man. I'm not going to sit there and say, fuck Jay-Z. But when you turn around and you have now artists creating a divide, I want to say is um, uh, Freddie Gibbs that uh, said, fuck Colin Kaepernick. It's like, what's that all about? And then to me, it's like, well, Jay-Z, if you're going to be very transparent, you didn't talk to Colin Kaepernick. So why would you even sit there and say that, you know, you spoke to Colin Kaepernick? His girlfriend and himself was like, nah, nigga, we didn't talk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So don't act as if this plan is is kind of being calculated between you and Colin Kaepernick. And then on top of that, Negro, for you saying that we're past kneeling, it's like saying we're past racism. We're not past kneeling because in the reality, we know the mindset of these white owners, these white owners who will continue to think that those Negroes is not only their meal tickets, but those Negroes are hands on a field. And how you move is how you move and how you walk is how I tell you how to walk. OK, but remove his skin color. I think he has the exact same views. If you looked at Sean Carter's life from from the earliest song that anybody ever heard of who he was, from the exploitation of his own community to sell drugs to what he did in the label, everybody who he ever did business with, he fell out with because he decided to make moves for him as opposed to them. So from from the people he was selling dope with to the people that he was doing Rockefeller with to the stuff that people screwed over Def Jam to the people that everything he keeps doing, as long as you no longer serve the purpose that he needs you for, you're gone. And mind and, you, he did an R. Kelly album twice when he knew the allegations that came out the first time. Yeah, because <laughs> well, the, yeah, because the first time he got he didn't know about the full allegations. Ah, no, 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 no. Here's the thing: he didn't he didn't know about the, the extent of what this because regardless of the tape is what he's talking about is the video tape. And he was they're set to go on tour for the Best of Both World album. He's in the hotel room getting ready to go out to do the press conference to get ready to spark off the tour. He gets a phone call say turn on the TV. Turns on the TV, R. Kelly's all over the news talking about, you know, the, the scandal and this, that, whatever. So that the, the numbers don't do well. He assessed the value of a Jay-Z R. Kelly album. Mm -hmm. Made economical sense. Did a second album with him. Like there was no morality that was in question. It right. was strictly a capitalism. It was a business deal. Right. And then as soon as he got what he needed, R. Kelly no longer served a purpose. R. Kelly got pepper sprayed backstage by one of these <laughs> dudes, and the tour was over. Like, it, it, once you no longer have value to him, he moves on. So he'll use whatever he needs to use to get whatever he needs to get. That has been consistent. We've got decades of data that shows that. Mm -hmm. So why would you think in 2019, a man who has never shown you anything other than what he's been is going to be on some different mission now? Well, because like you know, the common response is, well, he fun, you know, he did the Tyreek Browder documentary. He bailed Meek out. He but bailed. My question always would be is why, and that's why I was about to go right into. Yeah. So look, look, look at how he's profiting off these documentaries for one. And Kim Kardashian's doing her own documentary about her criminal justice strike. That's some BS. We can talk about that in another one. But let's even talk about some of the things that a lot of people may not know of. Jay Z dropped, and my, my 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 line of work is working on cannabis policy and cannabis equity and trying to get black folks capital to get into the market. We yeah. all know about the problems with that right now. Jay-Z did an op-ed with the New York Times where he said white venture capitalists are bad for the marijuana market because they are profiting off what black people are still locked up for. Yeah. 
then goes around and partners with them as their chief brand strategist for Kaliva, which is a white venture funded, um, white venture capitalist funded cannabis firm in San Jose. Yeah. Where 14 out of 16 of them are white owned, and they use a black face to help spread their propaganda. So then on top of that, so look, yeah. so look, we got we, we still, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm we right, got, we we are right here with you. We got him, you know, being, you know, hip, hip, hypocritical and what he's doing about being for black, you know, black owned yeah. businesses for the black fight. But then what's not really not talked about is how he marketed Meek and now him and Meek are um, investing into the um, ankle monitors. Yeah. That's uh, the, the Promise app. Is that, is that, is that, is that, is that factual? Yeah. The, 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 um... the Promise app, yeah. Okay. You can look it up. Um, through the Promise app, he's going into. So it's not, you know, you know I'll, I'll be a hyperbole and say he's investing into the prison, prison pipeline system. Um, but, you know, it's, it seems to be ostensibly good, but then even activists are like, what's going on? Because a lot of activists started looking at a funny eye when they saw a lot of for profit prisons are investing in it as yeah. well. So when you get the for profit prisons are investing in it, that's where like, we're like, we're against y'all. Why are you investing in something that we believe will help? Because Michelle Alexander and a lot of criminal justice scholars. I said that doesn't do anything but expand the carceral state into the home and actually be able to let you monitor even more, uh, have the ability to monitor black bo- black and brown bodies, which we know is going to disproportionately affect um, a little bit more closely. So yeah. although it does seem good, there has been studies showing that this just doesn't do anything for for yeah. black people. Yeah, his ability to room and move move in a room full of vultures. Like I, I think part of it is is that we have these we use these phrases and and, and we speak in these these circles that don't really mean anything. And so you know the, the whole idea of you need to be in the room and the whole idea is a ah. place at the table and the whole idea of you know work from within. Well, here's the thing when you when you get in when you're in the room. You find about that, that's why your company is important. The, the, the fringes, the circles that you travel in. So when you start getting into these rooms with decision makers <laughs> and policies that are happening, you get the heads up. So, but if your whole concept is business mm-hmm. and earning, you know the trend that's coming. So as long as you don't rock the boat, you get invited to the next room yeah. and find the next trend. Well, if you're in enough rooms and hear enough trends, you know where to put your money. You know what campaigns to get behind. You know what people to align yourself with or who to separate from. Mm-hmm. All he's doing is moving in different circles, in different rooms, learning different trends, and learning where to put his money. At no point in time is he ever in any of these rooms, in my personal opinion, for the betterment of black people. He's just keeping his ear to keep your keep your ear to the streets, Huggy Bear. He's just trying to find out, you know, what what's what's the beat in the street, where to put my money, and where I can capitalize. So so that's how he get the heads up on on the on the ankle monitor. App. That's how he get the heads up on the social justice moves throughout the league. You can be the face of whatever man. You could I'll, I'll do your halftime show. Same man who said, you need me, I don't need you. Right. Uh, but he'll sit there, I'll set this up. Yeah, I'll, I'll, my connections can do it this way. My they can do it that way. My Yeah, and he's just going to keep putting his money and keep putting himself in position, being the exact same man he has been for decades. And I think that's us who, who gets hung up on the symbolism of who we that's see say, and, and who we yeah. think people are that we don't know. And, and what we think that they're going to do for us, though they that man has never in my life, my experience, never seen or heard him say, I, I, I'm going to put myself on the line for y'all. Well, I, I think that in some senses, I believe that he has business wise because to move in. Uh, this realm is a tricky situation. I mean, this is we're talking about the elitists. You're talking about the highest form of of of, of white supremacy is in um, this political field as well as entertainment, especially when you talk about um, the NFL. But in the same sense, 
you know, it's very tricky because I'm a fan, you know, and I've always been a fan. I, I love the fact that he was able to be, um, f for me, coming from um, the drug culture of, of hustling, you know what I mean? I never sold nobody's uh, mama crack, but at the end of the day, what drugs I sold, who knows where it got to, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I've done enough things to where I have to ask myself for forgiveness and I've redeemed myself in the work that I've done. So in a reality of that, I can understand and I feel everyone... Um, any one of us that's living in that lifestyle, we are all trying to have um, this move of being able to do this for a term and then switching into big business because in reality, that is a business. But it's just an entrepreneurial business that is not looked upon in a high regard. Now, saying that everything that you just stated, uh, Jermaine, spot on. You know, Neff, what you're saying is spot on. My thing is, how do we, when we continue to have symbol symbols that we we, we uh, gravitate to right Jay-Z is a symbol of black entrepreneurship a symbol of making it in the black community regardless of our personal feelings that is leveling up at its highest extent from um, drug dealer to rapper to entrepreneur to the baddest chick in the game to the billionaire now the way that he gone about it it, it's, it's, it's you know some friends got left behind, but we all know not all friends are going to be able to go with you as you level up. Now, the thing that I f struggle with is we know this monster, a, a a a coalition of all things wrong with America, the NFL. As much as it entertains us, and as much as we've seen from black leaders from yesterday to now. That without a proper plan, and I think what Jermaine is saying, we know Jay-Z got a bunch of yes-mans, and he got a bunch of people that's saying, hey, bro, might want to do it this way. So that reality, I feel, is who the hell is going to tell Jay-Z something when this nigga looking like you, nigga, well, you, you're on my payroll, right? What do we do moving forward to make sure that if he does not do what he's saying he's doing, because he's trying to say that... We're going to address the issues. I don't know how you address the issue when, one, you're not allowing Colin Kaepernick just to get a fucking job. Like, you're not allowing him to be on an NFL team because it's as easy as that for the one part. And how do you change the ideology of people that have been brainlocked to kill us? They want our extension. How do you change that? There ain't no training that's going to create folks who are corrupt, folks who are racist, a system that has been, um, and Jay-Z should know this best more than some of us, because this system almost had him locked up. This system had him selling crap, that we know the system that has been uh, raised up and has been maintained because of our silly behavior and some of our ignorance as well as funneling with white privilege and white power. How can we believe that he's just going to go in there and become a Superman when there's so much kryptonite? How do we keep him in check before he does and just gets a check? We don't. We just sit there and treat him as if Justin Timberlake took the job. <laughs> I, I think You're really upset I, about this. No, huh? no, I, 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 no. I'm not upset with him. 
I'm upset with us. Why? why? True. Be, because, true. like I said, he to me is doing everything he's, he's always do. done. Always right. do. This, this is the move he's supposed to make, being the man he has presented himself to be. So I'm not mad at him. What my irritation comes with with us thinking he's going to be anything other than what he's been. It's the Jesus mentality and the savior mentality that black people hold on yes, to. Which, this nigga's going to save us. Which is why I say treat it like Timberlake took the job. What would you expect from, from Justin Timberlake if he took the exact same job Jay-Z just took? And, and then if he does something good, high five. If he don't, I wasn't expecting it anyway. So, I think we should treat Jay-Z taking the job the same way I would have treated it if Timberlake took it. Okay, so is this more of a problem of black capitalism will not save black people? Is that? Yes. Dun, 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 dun. dun. Is that what it really comes yeah. down to? I mean, like we was, we was talking earlier, when Nixon, Nixon gave us a real good pipe dream of selling us black capitalism. That's why we and don't have... Make sure we go back because some folks might know who you're talking about when you say Nixon. Yeah, Richard Nixon. Tricky dick. <laughs> um... During the, during his presidency, he sold to, um, to black political activists and black revolutionaries the idea of black capitalism as means of placing the problem of poverty on our backs and not the government's. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Exactly, and that's make mindset it right there. Which, in a sense, yes, it is up to us to, you know, lift our people up, yeah. but not in the sense of this individualism that capitalism entices. Capitalism really focuses on individual rights and individual motives and all that, you know, individual yeah. stuff. And it takes, up out of, takes us out of a mindset of community, which is kind of what we were under, you know, what the Panthers, which is why I said earlier, the Panthers would have been like, no, it's not perfect because the Panthers were against the system entirely because the Panthers were focused on the system, I'm sorry, the uh, community growth. Yeah. Voice the community first. The Panthers would never sell out the community for some kind of reform or some policy from, from the same bureaucracy that was killing them. Yeah. So if we look at the system entirely, the system is made to, to keep us down. And that's not one of those, like, those, you know, this, you know like people like to think you're being a victim, but like, it's real. Like I was talking about the Amazon, you know, the Amazon burning down earlier. But if you look at why, why it's burning, is because the indigenous made a deal that they won to not have to retain their land, and then what? Within the same week, they turned it through the gasoline. <laughs> yeah, come on now, like it's no, it's, and what is it, and what was it for? It's so they can divorce. Move. No, not no, no, it's for well, so they can move, but yeah. so they can continue the process of deforestation yeah. for agriculture. Yeah. So it's like it's all these models with regards to like accumulating wealth, and we need to stop realizing that. Capitalism is going to be our savior to rise up the social ladder um, and win and change the system. You're going to bind yourself to the system that's you know relies on Jay Z exploiting people for decades yeah. to get to the top. Well, so I think also the thing that we have that that goes which is taught when it comes to to capitalism as a whole, black capitalism specifically when pertaining to us, but the whole mindset is of anyone can be a millionaire. So it, it, it's not the, the idea of, OK, well, the you got to have the right product to be. A no, no, no. But I, I'm saying that the theory based around uh, this, this system is and when you make it financial. And this is what that was the pipe dream yeah. that your whole situation, your whole get down, everything that's going on in your life right now is strictly the result of lack of money. So all you need to do is get your paper up mm -hmm. and enough paper will get you out of drug infested areas. It will get you out of crime ridden areas. It'll get you out of single parent households. It'll get you out of systemic racism, racist problems because you can keep pricing yourself out of these environments that have you in these problematic situations. When you sell somebody the dream that all I got to do is make enough money. Like that's that's the finish line. OK, well, I'm still dealing with problems. That means I got to make more money. OK, I'm still getting pulled over and harassed. That means I didn't make enough money. I'm still getting these. I'm, I just got to keep chasing this dollar till I can get myself enough paper to where these problems go away. When you're stuck on that hamster wheel, 
That's when it, it, it all this mess falls apart. So you've got people who align themselves with the system because they're like, look, you just, can, can, can Jay-Z get pulled over on the wrong day? With, with, yep. Can, can something happen to him where, where there's no support or sympathy because of his color? It can happen, but it happens less. And we have too many of us who are like, you know what? I may not be able to buy my way out of all of this. But I'm by myself out of some of this. I just want to feel good. Yeah. So I'm going to sit there and try to get myself. If I, Hey, man, I got to get mine. You got to get yours. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm going to do whatever I need to do in this system, because even I don't think that it's going to change. I don't think it's going to get better. But if I can make enough money, I can be all right. So basically what we're saying is black capitalism is not going to save us. Is that what we're saying? No, it's no. Not. Period. No, you you are not. There, there is not enough money you can make. So if we even take a global perspective of what colonialism was, an expansion of capitalism. Yeah, colonialism was the highest. Imperialism was the highest stage of capitalism. Yeah. And you know, have a lot of African minds who are saying that it got even higher than that with neo-colonialism on the continent. With the you know, they may have been granted independence, which was we, we think we have. I just yeah. made a post about that. No, we think we have yeah, independence. You know, yeah. we've been saying that slavery has never really ended for black people in America. So what? What is that word? That word is neo-colonialism. Yeah. And since we've been emancipated, quote unquote, quote, we quote. have been under a, a system of neo-colonialism. And this is where I'm like, I like to start start to show the parallels between how they did it in Africa and how they did it in the United States. Okay. And they shared the same. They did the same thing. So what, what most people don't realize, and I read this in a book called Black Bourgeoisie by E. Fra- e. Franklin Frazier. Yeah. Um, and he points out how after the Union Army came down and told the slaves they were free when they were winning. The missionaries and the Christians came down. Yeah. Same time establishing the schools and what we know, what we now know as some of our HBCUs. Most of. But what they came down with them saying um, is teaching American values and American values of business. And some of the first classes that were offered at HBCUs were business classes. So you taught black people how to become capitalists and more importantly how to train training them for jobs to serve the American economy. Yes. Same thing they did in Africa. So when they granted them freedom, um, the French in particular did this as well. Um, not only did they put them on their dollar system, they're you know they imposing currencies they could tax them, but they came in and let the missionaries establish the schools. So a lot of the schools that were in these you know these becoming independent quote unquote nations, the schools were funded by the church, yeah. whether it be the Protestant, the Catholic, you know Baptist, whatever whatever was a, you know yeah whoever was that yes. whoever was uh, repping that set over there. But they trained them in you know not only they didn't, for one they didn't train them in the native language, they trained them in. The, the metropole, the mother, the mother, you know, the mother country language. So yeah. they psychologically were bounded to that country by teaching them the ideals of France, the ideals of yeah. uh, Britain, but the language as well. So you couldn't communicate in any language. That's what we're still seeing in Africa, and even today, speaking English. I'm like, fuck, we're still sorry, we're just so we're still colonized. Oh, you can still. curse on this podcast. We're still we're still so colonized. We're speaking English, and this upsets me to know that only language I know is English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. neo-colonialism. Well, I mean, so. I, this is one of the things where I wish that we brought back board games. And like I got some homies like that's that's all they make sure game night no video games or nothing. They they stress the old school board games. So a lot of times when we talk about the situation we're here, we always revert to monopoly. We think it's about monopoly. That's about acquisition and it's about purchasing, about moving up. But the better analogy of board games is actually risk. Mm. I don't know if you long enough in the tooth to remember risk. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. Risk is about world domination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Risk is about colonialism. It's about expansion. It's about <laughs> it's about growing. Monopoly is is, is a finite. It's it, you're already set. This is this is all that there is. The other one's about expansion and growing. All them games I used to show you about how you start in one area, then you spread out and you covered and you took over. 
Uh, I think that something that goes along with this too, and it's kind of sideways, is like the difference between like our cold African culture as opposed to European culture, yes. how we how we a- address yes. things. And there's two fundamental things. Like you'll hear a lot of times we speak like, uh, I don't want to be a soldier, I want to be a warrior. Yeah. Like we talk about Africans about being warriors. Well, there's a big, huge difference between being a warrior versus being a conqueror. Mm. And those are two fundamentally different ways to approach things. And we are constantly being conquered. We are warriors. The warrior mentality is that we battle it out today. And after you're defeated, you can go wherever you go. You just can't come here no more. Yeah. Like after the tribes would go to war or go to war with people, like once they were beaten, leave, exile. Yeah. You can't come back. Well, yeah. that's a wrap. Conquering is once I defeat you. I'm killing your sons. Yeah. I'm raping the women so they give birth to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm burning your fields. I'm salting the ground so nothing from here will ever grow again. Man. I am destroying what previously existed, and I'm only because I don't it want it ever to come back. Ever to come attack back. me again. That European mentality are conquerors. Yes. So when you sit there and think that you're going to take your warrior spirit into this conquering system. And try to play the game with people that as soon as you really seem like you were a threat, their mentality and default is to destroy you, those who look like you, and anyone who's thinking ideas like you. Mm-hmm. You have to realize that you are not going to do it through that vein. So you're going to have to either decide that you're trying to boss up and get the conqueror status, and it's not going to be done amicably. No, it's not. No. So all that we're going to work within, we're going to move my way up. Just, I'm going to do there. There is no win in it that way. So in a sense of real quick, just yeah. it, in a sense of being at the table, well, we're saying that it can't be done being at their table. No, no, uh, no, I, no but no. at the same time, Not from inside. OK, but at, in it, but at the same time, we have all been at certain tables. Yeah. And having to be able to understand just looking at the plight or just looking at the chicken sandwich challenge, we see what black people will do as far as support. And I know for facts when I just did my program and I wasn't able to get uh, a little bit of nothing, you know, some people and services and things of that nature. So in order for us to get certain things, we have to take from the table that we're sitting at. Am am I correct? No, it's fact. Yes. Okay. so at the same time, then being at the table is strategy, but being consumed with the table, not saying, okay, well, you know what? Had a good time over here building up my table and we're not talking about ikea table but creating our own is kind of the idea that we need to move into definitely yes but 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 being at the table taking what is rightfully really ours because it's all been stolen for us yeah yeah that is the important step in strategy so we're we're getting that clear right yes that's what's it so the idea we talk about having a seat at the table this is the perspective when you go to have a seat at the table is understanding is that a why am i here so like if you get yourself in a situation where I'm going to work my way up, I'm going to be in this room with these movers and shakers. He's like, I got to remember why I'm here. And I also have to remember why they're having me here. Yeah. Because the simple fact is, is, is much, who am I here for? That's what I'm saying. So if I'm here with an agenda and a plan and they're willing to sit with me at this period, the only reason why I'm in the room with them, like there's a Lil Wayne lyric, said the, same, the reason why you're standing next to him ain't the same reason why he's standing next to you. And when you understand that the reason why they're allowing you at the table is that there's something that's benefiting them. They're not doing it to be nice or to be generous or to be kind. So you have to always remember while you're there is that, okay, if I'm here to get intel, if I'm here to look at resources, I'm here to learn. That's the biggest thing about college. Like a lot of us sit there and say that college does not serve a purpose. For a lot of us, it teaches us the language, it teaches us the customs, and it teaches us the traditions to be able to move with the people that can make things happen. You're quoting Dr. Amos Wilson now. I'm just saying, you come from where you're at, you may not speak the language that is spoken where you're trying to get to. 
So you get exposed to different things that gives you game on how to operate. The, the language you speak in Oakland and you're trying to do stuff in Oakland, maybe only will keep you in Oakland. If you're trying to do business with folks who, who are in Jersey, you're going to need to learn how Jersey people speak. You're going to need to learn how people operate in Ohio. You're going to need to learn. And that's that's the biggest thing you get from college. But, but when you go to college, learn why you're there. When you get these opportunities to sit at these tables and you're interacting with these other folks, it doesn't mean they have to be complete separatists and never do anything with anybody. But you always have to remember what the big picture is. You're sitting across from them because just as much as you need something from them, there is something that they feel they can gain from you. So as long as you understand this is not a bit, they're not looking to be cool to you. You need to figure out how you can get what you need to get to go back to where you're going to. Just like as soon as you get up and walk out the room, they're going to absorb something from you and go back to what they're working on. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, so we're talking about juxtaposition or, you know, comparing and contrasting European culture to African culture. Yeah. You started with that. Um, there's a book I have in my hand and I'm reading right now. It's a uh, speeches by Emical Cabral, Emical Cabral, who was a revolutionary in uh, Africa from yeah. specifically uh, Guinea-Bissau. And this chapter I'm reading, and I'm really, I'm like, really was messing with it today because it's called, it's on, it's talking about national liberation and culture, um, and this is delivered in 1970. And I'm just gonna read quickly just some, what something what he says, like the principal characteristic common to every kind of imperialist domination is a negation of the historical process of the dominated people by means of violent, violent, violently usurping the free operation of the process of development of the production, uh, production forces. Then he goes on to say. A people who free themselves from foreign domination will be culturally free only if, without complexes and without understanding the importance of positive accretions from the oppressor and other cultures, if they return if they return to the upward paths of their own culture. Yeah. So basically, we need to rid ourselves of if we are to progress of the oppressor's culture. Christianity was opposed upon us. Capitalism was opposed upon us. All these things that have given that were given to us by the oppressor to make the oppressor stronger and to really underdevelop our own culture. And with that, because a lot of times when we use phrases and, and, and stuff, we'll say, OK, well, I'm going to get rid of this. Recognize that learning where stuff comes from, because a lot of times there are a lot of things that we created, that we started, that we invented, that were then taken from us, shifted and changed and moved to fit another person's agenda and then given back to us, not in the original way it was created. OK, go back to the top of the show, addressing Dr. Claude Anderson. Dr. Claude Anderson wrote the original affirmative action bill, which was specifically for the betterment of black Americans. It didn't it wasn't minorities. It wasn't people of color. It wasn't gender or none of that. It was specifically to offset the policies in place economically to reestablish a strong, self-sufficient economy for black Americans. That was the sole reason it was written. Mm -hmm. After it was then taken, it was then moved to include people of color, it then included women. It included uh, your, your gender identity, it included all these other things, and then ultimately removed black people from the benefits. The key benefit of, of affirmative action are white women. Like they're they're the, the, the number one contributor, the, the, the benefit benefactors of affirmative action. It completely removed. So that happens with a lot of things that we think that are theirs. Or things that we think that they gave us. There are things that we created that they took and adjusted for their system, for what they wanted, gave back to us under the way that they wanted us to learn it. So, so why do we believe things are going to change well, now? So this is why it's important that we learn where we're from. We learn our cultures and traditions. We have value in who we are. They rec Every other system recognizes the value of who we are but us. 
And so if we need something to move forward, you can't you don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. And you're just going to keep walking in circles and keep doing figure eights and make no ground, make no progress because you don't have a base point to start with or a true goal of where you're trying to get to. So recognizing where we're from, appreciating where we're from, who we are. And every time we get in these circles, when we get these opportunities of when you have a base point of who you are and what you need. You don't lose sight of that for potential dollars or opportunities that only benefit self. I believe that in the reality of it all, you know, there's a real particular reason why entertainment, um, entertainers, excuse me, and sports athletes are generally the go-to, the go-to for leadership, the go-to for inspiration, the go-to for we've finally made it. There is a particular reason, and I feel like it's played out. Even for the sense of Colin Kaepernick, there was a lot of different things that I felt that he should have did, he could have done. It was like, oh, you're just now going to sit there because Colin Kaepernick has kind of interrupted your comfortable game of football right. by, by, by kneeling. And I really honestly believe, as I was talking to one of my colleagues, that him sitting down was a lot more disrespectful than him kneeling. Yeah. He's yeah. still, you know, he's still uh, obliged to the actual uh, – uh, national anthem, you know, in that video, that two minute video that y'all folks that he came out with three years later that I happened to be in the Me last, too. yeah, yeah, you was in there too, you know what I mean? I had a little bit more powerful. I'm just, 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 I'm him and I did on the front line are things that are not even talked about because it's almost like the celebrity got it down. Forget what the niggas that were saying on the ground was saying. And to me, it makes me uneasy because if you're going to go talk about social injustice, Jay-Z, where were the people that was fighting social injustice in the room? Where were they at to have the conversation with the NFL? Right, even besides Kaepernick. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, like yeah. that's when you 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 bring some of the social justice leaders that have fought that fight to kind of see and 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 and, and heed it to what we want to hear. Because if we're gonna make a big fuss about Kanye West sitting down with Donald Trump, I feel like we have to say the same thing. Like, okay, Kanye, what you here for? Okay, pastors, well, why are you meeting with Donald Trump? If we're going to be as critical as we are with these guys, we have to be the same with our beloved Jay-Z. And for what I'm hearing from the black community, you can't go after Beyonce, you can't go after Beyonce's husband, and you can't go after Michelle or, or, or President Obama. You can't go after these four figures. And how ironic, these four figures, they Where move with each other, right? Or, 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 or the white or black Jesus, whatever you want to kind of angle. So there is a pure um, significance of why they allowed black celebrity to move in the level of what they moved in. Not always to the level of height where white folks will feel uncomfortable and now Brad Pitt got to worry or Tom Cruise got to worry about their position in being took, but just enough to keep their foot on the Negro so we can always occupy in a way that you see one of us got there, one of us is going to make this change, one of us is going to be that, that Martin Luther King, one of us is going to be that person to move in a power position to get us free. When in reality, as I'll go back to one of my first um, statements, I have not seen one black person, man or woman, that has infiltrated white supremacy for a black agenda, for a overall black movement where I don't even think a lot of these rich people are even as black as they want to appear to be because 
They don't speak in the same tax bracket that we speak into. <laughs> they speak into a bracket of capitalism that really, if they move the structure a little bit too much, we don't have the finances to um, keep them as relevant as if they stay helping white supremacy propel. So when we're looking at sitting at the table, when we're looking at uh, creating this idea of social justice, social justice has now become another trendy topic as the chicken sandwich uh, uh, challenge. It's easy to say social justice so we can kind of bait back to see what Jay-Z does. When reality we know the same Negro that said still a OJ, the same Negro that shunned other people to be a part of the Super Bowl uh, uh, entertainment is now leading the Super Bowl entertainment faction. I would have been more excited if he was doing something totally different and it had nothing to deal with the Super Bowl halftime show because what the fuck does that have to do with social justice? <laughs> what does the Super Bowl halftime show have to do with social justice? It has nothing to do with social justice. And social justice is more than police brutality. Social justice is necessarily ridding ourselves of white supremacy. That's the kind of justice that we need. And I don't honestly believe that we're going to get that kind of justice especially when you have billionaires swinging with billionaires and the $10 Negroes that are on the ground aren't at the tables saying, here's what real systematic change looks like. You're not qualified to that, even though I know he knows the structure of it. But when I'm listening to him, I'm not hearing the answers. I'm hearing him say, you know the problem. You know the problem. You know the problem. They don't know the problem. Because if the problem was really understood, we wouldn't have this continuous problem in 2019. They would have gotten rid of the problem because in the reality, it is white folks that have to get rid of the problem. It ain't black folks. We cannot continue to challenge them and explain to them what this looks like to how you're supposed to treat me. It has to be with them saying my privilege and my power is no longer relevant. I am going to let go and let shit be even. And I don't think that because we know what we know, that white folks are ready for that kind of truth. And I don't think that no Negro can convince them of that kind of truth. Because at the end of the day, every time a black person goes into these realms and they don't speak from a black lens, from a core, not from their success, but from a core of what we go through, not from a we're past kneeling. These stupid things that you want to say to appease and white folks are clapping and people are smiling. Yeah, we have. We have not got close to getting past the kneeling when we are still being killed. We're still being brutalized. We're still being segregated, even though we integrated in this society. There cannot be a situation where a billionaire is trying to now move in a way to help a bunch of other folks that are not at the table saying, this is what we need. I don't see it happening. Not at all. Brother, we appreciate you being here as Thank always. You. Thank you. Final words. You got final words? Final words? Um, I think it's just a slap in the face for a billionaire to tell us it's time to move to actionable items when we be on the ground moving actionable items. And he's watching you from the penthouse? And he's watching you from the penthouse. That's some BS. Okay. Where can, reiterate, where can folks find you online and then yeah, where can yeah, folks yeah, get yeah. your book at? Only Instagram is where you can find me, social media-wise. Khalil J. Ferguson, K-H-A-L-I-L-J Ferguson, like Missouri. Um, and then my book called Subservience is on Amazon. The only place you can find it, Subservience. One more time. Subservience. <laughs> Where can folks find you online, Mr. Axis? Well, I have been to I have been to Facebook jail. That's another thing I want to talk. I've been in Facebook <laughs> jail back to back. I'm free. I'm free on bail. I 
haven't pressed the white button yet, but I'm probably going to go do this as soon as this, uh, you know, podcast goes on. But where you can't find me right now currently because I'm free on bail. Again, they're trying to censor your boy. Barry Axius Facebook, Barry Axius Twitter, Barry Axius IG. Make sure you go check out Hidden Gems Thrift Store, 2245 Floor and Roll. Make uh, Floor and uh, Roll, uh, a.k.a. Floor and Square. Make sure September 14th you come out to our next event, the first annual Black Food Fest, A Taste of Culture, as well as Black Blueprints with a Z.com. Thank you for all the folks that have continued to subscribe, um, continue to um, uh, friend us, and continue to support the the brand, the movement, the truth. I'm Jermaine Morris on Facebook. Every other social media platform is at J. Morris CEO. It's been the Say Something Podcast. Thank you again for our special guest, Khalil Ferguson. We got, we got, uh, we, we, uh, we're probably going to have to come bring you back after we get this on because we want to see what some of the folks are going to say about some of our opinion. Oh, and at the, end of the day, at the end of the day, like I said, you know, we have to really, really um, start trying to, because, you know, I just want to say this before I know we got to get up out of here. Stop telling us to stop watching the NFL. You know what I mean? Start telling them niggas to stop playing in the NFL. And we can't continue to look at Johnny Public as the ones that have to move the box. These niggas are going to have to make some sacrifices as well. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, sir. That's real shit. That's yes. the way you really, because if you can hold out for money, Nick will hold out for something greater. And then, like I said, at the end of the day, Colin Kaepernick gets his job. That's just one of the um, the marks of, okay, we're looking at um, this thing a little bit differently. But if you have people in the movement that really push the issue, that risk everything, risk their paycheck, and they're saying that they're not really feeling the move, we have to look at the move that Jay-Z is doing and be more critical to it, not just because he's Jay-Z, he's Sean Carter. But let's just look at it. History does not lie and a person's value of, of what you see, how they spend or how they operate tells you a whole lot about a person. And folks, I think, forget about some of that history and some of that past. That's why I can never take Puff Daddy serious. Oh, facts. That's what I'm saying. I could facts. never take P. Diddy he, seriously. He's for the, he uh, uh, Tupac and Diggy stuff. I mean, he, where he's at. We can get that in on on next. Obviously. We, 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 there's, a whole lot of, yeah. there's a whole rabbit hole we can go down on that one. Right. Right. This is in the Say the, Something the, podcast. The, the, the principal, the principal censoring now. You know what I'm saying? I just, <laughs> I just, we got a full episode of all that stuff. It's been Say Something podcast. Yeah. Yes, sir. Until next show, we will holler at you later. Yeah.